loud and proud from my potting shed, it's on the ledge. I'm your host Jane Perone and in this week's show I talk to Sean William Salim of YouTube channel Only Plants about Indonesian plant culture and in Meet the Listener we head to South Korea to hear from Ray. Thanks to everyone for your kind comments about last week's episode. So far, the jury is firmly on the side of non-open plan homes uh, from the comments I've had from you. But perhaps you want to speak up in favour of them. Please do share your thoughts on that. And thank you to the listener who got in touch about the story going live currently about marimo moss balls. Yes, those balls of filamentous algae that people have adopted as the easiest form of houseplant are now a cause of concern because they have been found to be harbouring the invasive zebra mussel across at least 21 states of the US where they are sold. It's a real problem because this mussel is really invasive both in the US, the UK and elsewhere and they cause all kinds of problems with water pipes damaging boats and fishing equipment and clogging up the intakes for power plants even. So it's definitely worth, if you've just bought a Marimo moss ball recently, checking your moss ball very carefully for the invasive zebra mussel. I'll put a couple of links from the USGS into the show notes, which give you all the information, what to look for and what to do if you find a zebra mussel in your Marimo moss ball basically it needs to be destroyed and there's a few sensible and safe ways of doing that including putting them in a bag in the freezer for 24 hours that does the trick but there are some other methods too so do check out the show notes for that information thank you also to Jean vdm 95 from canada for a lovely review and to my new patrons kath who's become a super fan melissa and rosa who have become legends and if you'd like to unlock extra exclusive content including a bonus interview with my guest today sean of only plants then do check out the show notes at janeperone.com to find out more you can also give a one-off donation via code-fi.com or via paypal leave a review for the show I'll just holler out the window I love on the ledge I'm sure your neighbours will know exactly what you're talking about well I'm halfway through tidying my shed and before I crack on with that let me introduce today's guest Sean William Salim is based in Jakarta Indonesia and he is a YouTuber and huge plant enthusiast and I was really interested to find out from Sean what plant cultures like in Indonesia, what plants are popular and the plants that are surprisingly not popular and the differing challenges of growing houseplants in a tropical climate. Do check out the show notes as you listen for details of Sean's YouTube channel, Instagram and more. Hi guys, my name is Sean. I'm a houseplant enthusiast from Indonesia. I love propagating plants. I love learning about how to 
care for plants here in my tropical climate and of course share this uh, information with a lot of my viewers uh, in the tropic regions and of course for all over the world as well. I'm so excited to have you on On The Lead, Sean. So tell me first of all, where in Indonesia are you based? I'm based in Jakarta. It's the capital city and it's on the island of Java. So yeah, it's right smack in the middle of Java. I guess everybody kind of knows where Jakarta or Bali is. These are the two most popular destinations here. Is it a very urban environment that you're in? Is it really densely populated and packed with people and cars? Jakarta itself is very, very densely populated. We have the, some of the worst traffic in the world. <laughs> a lot of annual flooding. So, you know, once a year, we would the whole, half of the city would just be underwater. It's pretty bad. Wow. Yeah. But I live like a bit, like an hour away from Jakarta. I'm on the outskirts, so I'm not really affected, but people are. Tell me about climate-wise, what Jakarta is like. We are a very, very tropical climate. That means that our temperature is constantly around, I don't know, 27 to 30s, low 30s degrees Celsius. So it's just hot and humid all year round. The humidity is, what, 80 to 90 percent. This is outdoors, right? Of course, indoors is a little bit different because we have our AC on, and the airflow isn't so good indoors, it's very different. But yeah, it's very hot and humid all year round with, with that rainy season that we just talked about. It's an annual rainy season that's really bad. The fact that you've got such humid conditions outside, do you have many plants inside? Does the AC make it difficult to have a lot of plants that grow really easily outside inside your house? Well, personally for me, I have grown plants both indoors and outdoors. I, I started my collection growing them indoors because I didn't want to encroach on my dad's because I live in my parents' place. So I didn't want to use up their outdoor spaces. But I did find that after moving them outside, they grew better, it's a lot easier to care for them. And I, I would say that most of the Indonesian houseplant parents keep their houseplants outdoors with exception of maybe a few apartment dwellers who keep them indoors. So with that high humidity, does that pose some challenges in terms of, I mean, usually in here in the UK, it's or where you've, you've got low humidity issues in the winter, but do you have issues with humidity that's just too high? Absolutely. So a lot of our plants actually rot often. So like during the rainy season now, like the I use antifungal, well, fungicides, sorry. I use fungicides religiously, like literally every day I would whip out a bag of it and just spray down my plants because they're, it's, it's just terrible how, you know, I have to pot all my plants in terracotta pots, very, very fast draining potting mix, and still a few of them would manage to rot because of the rain. So I sometimes would even have to play Tetris with my plants, I have to move them indoors uh, in, in turns because I don't I have such limited indoor space. And what about light? Your position on the equator presumably means that do you get different light at different times of year or is it fairly steady throughout the year? So this is something that a lot of people like local that I, local people that I speak with, they don't believe me when I told them that our sun movement changes throughout the year in the way that, you know, the north and southern hemispheres will receive different light levels throughout the throughout the year. For example, when Australia is get, having their winter time, you know, the sun is actually hotter up on the North Hemisphere, which is I believe around the June period. So yeah, there is a difference with, with, you know, between the Northern and Southern Hemisphere in terms of light levels. The aroid craze is big in my part of the world. 
I'd love to hear a bit about aroids in Indonesia. Are they ten a penny or are there still these rare unicorn plants that everyone's trying to get hold of? What's it like for aroid growers in Indonesia? So the, the rare aroids actually got so popular here recently. A lot of We have a lot of new plant parents and it's become so trendy to collect these really weird looking aroids that you know, fortunately, I think these arrows were brought into the country, I would say, many, many years ago, and they were in widely in cultivation here. That's why we have a lot of the stock. We have a supply chain here, which we mostly export, but we also have such a huge demand now that the prices has gone up like crazy. It's, uh, a lot of these prices has gone up three to four times over COVID. So there is a huge demand for it. We also have a lot of common aeroids uh, those prices hasn't changed much over the pandemic. Again, I think Instagram and YouTube has a big influence on how popular or how in demand some of these aeroids are. So it's interesting to hear that, that you've got the same kind of thing going on with um, the status symbol aroids. Is it exactly the same things? It's Thai constellation, it's, uh, you know, variegated monster alansonii, those kind of things that us mere mortals can't get hold of. Are those the kind of things people are really spending the money on? Yes, but one notable difference is that there are actually a few aeroids that come from here, from uh, this region, that are actually not that well liked here. Maybe because people think, oh, these are just local, they're kind of everywhere. Like we have a lot of our skindapsis. We have like Raphidophorus, which and Amidriums, of course, which is very, very popular in you know, overseas, in, in Europe, in the States. And those are not so popular here. The prices aren't that crazy. It's not just very sought after. So I guess people are really into these more like the South American varieties of the aeroids here. I guess. It's so interesting. The grass is always greener. I mean, that's yeah. the message I'm getting from that. But, you know, something that's like local and, uh, you know, a, a plant that's endemic to the region is less interesting than something from South America. It's, that's so interesting. Yeah. You've sent me a really interesting list of a ranking of, of the the most popular plants. So let's run through this list. Um, the, the, right at the top are the philodendrons. Do you grow a lot of philodendrons? Me personally? Yes, I have quite a lot of philodendrons. You've put in brackets Pilo Pilo, is that the local name for them? Yeah, so this is something that I wanted to talk about. So basically when locals walk into a nursery and they, they what they refer to as aeroids, they just say, oh, Pilo Pilo, like, do you have the Pilo Pilo? They, so over here they call everything philodendron. They call Monsteras philodendron. Right. <laughs> so it, Pilo Pilo is like a word that they use, which I find kind of funny. Yeah. What, number two, you've got Anthurium. Uh, I'm imagining that I've just got this picture in my head of like these amazingly lush Anthuriums with those beautiful, colourful bracts just growing like weeds in Indonesia. <laughs> is that right? And I, and I believe that Indonesia is also one of the biggest hybridizers of Anthuriums. A lot of mutations also were discovered here and then they become more widely cultivated. So, yeah, the, the, Anthurium has always been popular here, like all, you know, whether you have the big heart-shaped leaf ones or the rosette types, those are our grandparents' kind of exotic plants at, at the time. But I remember when I was a, younger, they were kind of seen as a being what, what English people would call naff, like not very cool, but now they've just been reinstated. And I love the fact that you've got 
breeders working to create these amazing color combinations of the bracts and leaves, le different sizes of leaves and stuff. They are amazingly cool. And number three, you've got Monstra. Obviously, you know, that's a, a given. Uh, they're hugely popular. Do you get people, in, with, with given your climate and, and conditions, do you get people with these growing outside into the huge monsters that you sort of see growing in um, in their native climate in Mexico? Uh, yes and no. If you go to some restaurants or certain like fancy malls or hotels, you will see them growing beautifully. But unfortunately, like you can't leave these plants out in the public. Like I wouldn't grow them outside right. of my backyard because the next day it'll just be chopped away and taken taken right people. so the plant theft is a very common thing here so people don't really put their nicer plants outside and is that a new thing as a result of the rising popularity of plants or is it just something that just is has always been the case would you say i think that's something it, it's obviously gotten worse now that people yeah know understand the value of these plants but there are a lot of common plants here like the zizi plants different bakias that are commonly just left outside on the streets and that's fine because th right. those don't cost a lot of money right yeah yeah that's interesting <laughs> and the number four you've got the chinese evergreens aglaonemas which are, you know they're a fantastic plant that I think are only just starting to come into their own here in the UK. We're starting to see more and more cultivars. But when I look at what's happening in your part of the world, there seem to be a really much wider range of options in terms of amazing leaf patterns and, and colours. Oh yeah, absolutely. And the one that's the most popular now is your Picton tricolor. So, yes, I'm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's huge, and it's endemic here. And actually, I've walked around the nursery and I found a lot of mutations of those. So I hope that those will become popular too. Mm. Indonesia is also the hub for uh, for Aglaonema hybridization with uh, the, uh, Mr. Greg Kambali. If I want to give him a shout out on this channel, he is responsible for some of the beautiful hybrids that we see, such as the uh, Lotus Delight. That was just one of the prettiest aglonemas that I've seen. Uh, he's, yeah, he's sort of a researcher, a professor, and he hybridizes different fruits and other plants as well. Wow, that's great. Well, I'm writing a, a column about aglionemas for um, somebody, for a magazine this next month. So I should look at that. Oh. That's interesting. <laughs> Although it's, well, the trouble is, is that when you get into talking about these things for, for a British magazine is that you have to go, oh, that's beautiful. Oh, but nobody's selling that here. So I can't even, you know, I mean, I, I can mention things, but then you get people who get very angry and go I can't find this plant that you were talking about so yeah it's a it's a tricky it's a tricky one but there's definitely even an influx of new ones here so let's hope that continues and to me though those aglionemas are very underrated here because they're such great plants and really easy to grow do they presumably they perform well, obviously they perform well in your cult in your climate <laughs> they must thrive Yes, they do. But we, again, back to the humidity issue. So it's very easily overwatered here. So they have to be kind of treated like a calathea here where you have to really amend the potting mix, if, especially if indoors. Well, one thing about aglonema is that no, but not a lot of people know is that they are so much fun to propagate. I don't know if there's not a lot of channels or, or YouTubers that talk about them, but they're so fun. Tell me more. So you would chop the top off. And so you have the top foliage, which you can propagate in water or in a potting mix. And then when you have a long bare stem, you can chop it up to pieces and you can lay the pieces sideways on the topsoil. And then 
a lot of you know each node presumably should put out a, a, a basic a shoot and then that final stop that you have with with the roots and all that good stuff that will put out a few branches maybe two to three branches of aglaonemus so they get bushy really fast when you cut it oh <laughs> that's really it. interesting so it's a bit like uh, you know just a dracaena marginata or something where you can kind of take that i would never have thought you could do that but that's so interesting uh Pretty that's much. great it's, it's faster it's faster to propagate too than the dracaena. Really? Well, I suppose it's less woody, isn't it? It's more of a softer stem. Oh, that's so interesting. That's really interesting. And you're right, not much. There's not much out there on those plants, so that's really, really good to know. I'm gonna have to. I'll mention that in my column, and I'll credit you <laughs> for that useful piece of information. Let's talk about orchids in at number five. I'm imagining some amazing orchids. Is it the same as here in that you can walk into like a supermarket and pick up a moth orchid for like a couple of, uh, you know, dollars or whatever? I would say that the Phalaenopsis would be the most popular, although there are so many varieties here. And I mean, orchids really fall under the, the collector's side. Like there are quite a lot of orchid lovers, communities. And of course we have a lot of availabilities of the species, which means that we can buy a lot of the species at a pretty affordable price. There are a lot of rare ones that, like the Nervilia, if I'm not wrong, that's becoming very popular now. We're starting to see a lot in cultivation. But yeah, we have all the way from like rare rare orchids all the way up to like the really crazy fancy ones that require high latitudes or certain temperature, nighttime temperatures. Yeah. Those are very difficult, but there are people who, who appreciate those here. And I mm. believe they're also heav heavily tissue cultured, if I'm not wrong. Yeah. Yeah, that, I'm yeah. sure that's true. I'm sure that's true. Just going back to what we were talking about with the aglaonemas and the other aroids, tell me then, you talked about fungicide and, and needing to make sure you've got a very well-draining potting mix. What is your potting mix for those plants then? What do you what do you add or what do you take away to make sure that it's super well-draining? So I have three. One is the general, which is very similar to what you guys use overseas uh, in Europe, in the UK, in the US, which is your cocoa peat, perlite, worm casting. And in, in my a case I added, actually added some burnt rice hull. I use burnt rice hull in all of my potting mix and this is very carbonized material that is actually very good to prevent rot and they pro provide good aeration as well. And then I also have my aeroid potting mix which is a little bit similar with your coconut chips, your burnt rice hull, your perlite and worm casting. But the final mix which is a little bit interesting it's not available in a, in a lot of countries. I use bamboo, uh, what do you call this? Dried bamboo. I use dried twigs, which is sometimes from fern. I, uh, what is, what else did I, perlite, burnt rice hull and worm casting. So this is actually what I call the forest floor potting mix. It's basically when you walk through a forest floor here in Southeast Asia, that's the, the, what the consistency looks like. It's very fast draining. It's got a lot of dried, what a leafy, twiggy type material that a lot of air can move through them. So the mycalatheas actually thrive in them and they absolutely require that, that dr fast drying out period to prevent rot. Yeah, I've got yeah. two questions coming out of that. I, I mm -hmm. have used rice hulls, but not burnt ones. So is, are they like black? Are they like carbonized? Are they black? Are they, is that what you're talking about? Yes. So the burnt rice hull is actually a little bit like horticultural charcoal in very, very small pieces. Imagine rice-sized charcoal. So you can actually crush them in your hands and it will just 
disintegrate to to a powder. Oh, that's interesting. Because, um, yeah, here, here I can get hold of the normal rice hulls, which I have used, experimented with a little bit. I've found them useful, but I haven't come across that. And second, the, the bamboo, um, is that... Are you talking about pieces of bamboo stem or are you talking about bamboo leaves or combination of both for your final mix? That's interesting because I actually haven't questioned that before. They actually look, they're paper thin, so I'm assuming they're probably from the leaves. Okay. But I could be wrong. I, it could just <laughs> probably, because the bamboo there, there's, if you look at the shoot, there's actually many, many yeah. layers that come, yeah, that is made off. So maybe it is just really broken down. So you're, you're buying that in a pack from somewhere that's available as a product? As a, okay, yep. well, that's really interesting. Well, you know, yep. I'll send you some of my, I mean, I've got some bamboo in my garden, which I have to regularly <laughs> hack back. I'll send you some. <laughs> I mean, it, but that, then again, one of the things about bamboo is I imagine processing like like it's easy to think, well, you've got lots of bamboo around, but actually processing that into the right size piece, it, like, you know, that's why you buy this stuff, isn't it? It's <laughs> well, that sounds like a really interesting mix and not anything that I would have come across here, but it clearly works for your what you need for your plants. So that's fascinating. And, and I'm going to look at the plants, your list of plants that are underappreciated or not popular. And shocker, at the top of the list is Hoya, which, I mean, I, I get again, is this going back to your point about, like, the place is dripping with Hoya, therefore we don't really worry about growing them as special plants? First of all, a lot of Hoyas are just so available here. In fact, a lot of the Hoyas here are, are exported overseas like our the most popular one i would say the caudata i think caudata is from sumatra if i'm not wrong don't quote me on that that's really <laughs> popular and that nobody wants them here and those leaves are just weird to to uh, to local people in fact when hoya sellers here put their hoyas on sale they never show the leaves they only show the flowers which is weird for me <laughs> That's so yeah. interesting. It's because we're so obsessed with the leaves here in, in the UK and, and the US and the flowers are kind of a secondary thing. But I can understand why uh, the flowers are the primary thing. But I guess that's just a, a, a difference. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess there are lots of um, listeners to this show who would just have a dream of like going to Indonesia and grabbing all the Hoyas in the world. <laughs> You know, it's the old phrase, familiarity breeds contempt, right? If you see something all around you all the time, you don't appreciate it. I'm sure it's true of plants here in the UK as well. It would be the same. So tell me about what else is on this. We've got we've got some other things on your list of underappreciated plants. I see Sansevierias on there. We have a lot of the Sansevieria trifasciata uh, with the yellow. That's everywhere. So that's in every landscaping that you see. And people consider them very common plants. And then we have the interesting ones like the whale fin, Sansevieria, you have your moonshine. Those are not popular at all. I can buy them here for less than a U one US dollars. Like nobody wants them. We, and, you know, we have your Bantel Sensation. We have so many fancy ones. They're available here, don't get me wrong, but it, just nobody wants them and they're so cheap to get here. <laughs> oh my gosh. You know, regular listeners of my Bantel Sensation obsession will be laughing now because uh, I've been, had such a long search to find that plant, which I now have. But wow, well, there you go. And obviously also on the list are Cacti and Succulents, which I'm not surprisingly don't do great in your climate. Um, mm -hmm. It's just too much of an uphill struggle, I guess. Yeah, it's the uh, humidity. You know, they they just can't live in ninety percent humidity. <laughs> They'll turn to mush. Are there a few people who like become 
passionate though about cacti and succulents and then they have to do these weird setups where they have to try to reduce humidity and you know like are there people who still persevere with them or is it just not something that pe that anyone bothers with just because there's so many other cool plants i haven't really seen that many you know sort of plant hacks like i know that you guys over there are so that you have your ikea greenhouses that's like you guys really went to town with that like I don't think Indonesian plant parents are that determined to keep a particular species alive. <laughs> so cacti and succulents, we have them in supermarkets, but you know, they're just destined to die. Like, so people buy them and they bring them to the office cubicles and then they die in like a few months. So that's the, yeah. <laughs> well, that's true all over the world too. So, um, and, and also on the list are um, begonias and peperomias. Again, I guess lots of begonias are coming from are endemic or or close by to indonesia so again they're not so popular for that reason yeah and also i think they're a little bit weird and i don't know i think a lot of people just are put off by you know the hairiness or that the the patterning so it's just i don't know it's not for everybody i i, I guess i really love begonias that you know, some people are put off by the way they... Also, they're very difficult to care for. Again, they rot very easily here. Very, very hard to keep alive. We'll be back with Sean shortly, but now it's time for Meet the Listener. Hello, Jane. My name is Ray, and I'm an American expat living in South Korea, going on over whew, 12 years now. I grew up in the desert climate of New Mexico, but currently reside in the center of the ever so densely populated metropolis of Seoul, which officially claims a temperate climate, but is more technically a humid continental climate with long, long, dry cold winters and hot, humid summers. These extremes in temperature and moisture levels mean that I have to create microclimates in my home if I want to keep the over 100 desert, forest, and tropical plants I have. And you know it gives me life, queen. As for my partner, yeah, not so much. Question one. You've been selected to travel to Mars as part of the first human colony on the red planet. There's only room for one houseplant from your collection on board. Which plant do you choose? It's gotta be my Hoya Carnosa Compacta. No matter how many times I look at it, I just feel better. I think I get more comments on this plant than any others in my home. It almost looks like a freeze frame of writhing and intertwining bodies. It's almost obscene. Anyway, I doubt the rest of the colonizers would appreciate my taking their precious water resources for a different kind of plant that would just guttate all over the place. So plants like my alocasia are definitely out. Question two. What is your favorite episode of On the Ledge? Episode 144. Underrated houseplants. It's the type of episode I really hope you do more of because it features little known or long forgotten houseplants that are viable, wonderful, and dependable. So like, why should that famous fiddly fig get all the flipping love from us? Sorry, I seem to be having an episode of my own. Anyway, I have had my eye out on that piggyback plant ever since you mentioned it in episode 144 because it seems to have a similar growth habit to another plant that I know you and I both love, Jane, Saxophagia stolonifera. Question three, which Latin name do you say to impress people? Gopertia kegelgenii. 
for two reasons. One, because it has been recently reclassified from the former Calathea Mosaica, which is a fun and obnoxious thing to point out, but also because I have been wanting to try my own hand at growing one of these, and it's just been on my mind for a while now. In fact, tomorrow morning, I, I am actually going to the largest plant market in this country to see if I can get one of these absolute beauties. Question four, crassulation, acid metabolism, or gut ocean? Okay, so this one's easy. Definitely crassulation, acid metabolism. I mean, how could you not be amazed by the sheer brilliance of this adaptation? And let's be real, gutation just seems so basic by comparison. And at the same time, so extra. I mean, like, why does a plant gotta spit on me? No! Anyway, can plants, well, these are just hardcore survivors in hardcore survivor mode, yes! It's like they've been saving up all of their precious resources for those metaphorical rainy days, which for camp plants would actually be the exact opposite of rainy days. So like, whatever, you know what I mean? Question five. Would you rather spend 200 pounds on a variegated monstera or 200 pounds on 20 interesting cacti? So, on a recent trip to a botanical garden on Korea's largest island, I saw in person for the very first time a magnificent specimen of the variegated monstera. Yes, it was majestic. It was huge, it was bold, it was special. I mean, it took my breath away. But I refused to spend that much coin on any one plant, no matter how trendy it is. So yeah, I'll take cacti for 200, Jane. Ray, you are the best. Thank you for sharing your answers to the tricky five Meet the Listener questions. And if you'd like to appear in the Meet the Listener slot, drop an email to ontheledgepodcast at gmail.com and my assistant Kelly will send you the oh-so-simple instructions for taking part. And now back to my interview with Sean of Only Plants. And I want to find out about the plant buying market. Let's talk a little bit about where you can buy plants in Indonesia. What are the primary places that Indonesian plant parents would be going to get their regular stuff and also anything more rare and exclusive? Okay, so actually we have stretches of roads, you know, spread around the city where people are just selling plants on the roadside. So these are, so you would just drive and pull over and you'll just buy plants and these are typically the more landscapey type house plants and the more traditional way of buying like our moms would buy plants this way but these days of course there's your instagram which is huge like people are buying a lot of plants online and we have online marketplaces here kind of like amazon where you know it's it's local so we don't really ship over it's more for local people and there's a lot of transaction going on in these online marketplaces Unfortunately, we don't have your big garden centers. Your, you know, like I know over in the states, you have, you know, big box stores that have, you know, these loads and loads of plants. We don't have those, so it's usually small stores, and there are actually a lot of home growers now, and especially in the mountainous region where we can actually just visit. I actually just did that last weekend where I went to an area. It's called Chiapas, and it's in Bogor. That's where a lot of the plants that were exported are actually grown in and these places used to be private but now that plants have become popular they're kind of open to public so we could actually roam into their houses into their backyards and look at all the plants that they're growing and 
kind of barter. It's, there's no price tags or anything, so you got to kind of negotiate your way with them. You have must have a reasonable idea of where to start with a price in terms of what something's worth. So your Sansevieria, well, that's going to be, be cheap, but your rare Aroid might be going for more. And are the, who are the people who are running these, these places? Are they people who've been sort of professionally trained in horticulture? Are they hobbyists? Are they people who are just making making some money as a sideline does it vary i think uh it varies but i don't think a lot of people here have that kind of horticultural background um i actually am not quite familiar with the universities and all that that offers these degrees uh, i'm sure there is but i think those are a little bit more focused on agriculture because houseplants have only become popular very recently and I actually spoke to some of the growers when I went uh, up in the mountains this weekend and a lot of them are quite new to it like maybe three to five years into it they usually own a small plot of land they knew somebody who kind of passed down their skills or passed down some parent plants for them to propagate and, and start growing so I guess they're just doing it because it's an opportunity now to, to make some money and their lives have actually gotten better I think especially now over COVID where you know there i saw some of their businesses expanding obviously prices are going up so these guys are doing well but i don't think they're hobbyists there are hobbyists that are growing plants but i think these are more on the rarer spectrum that's interesting i suppose not surprisingly as houseplants grow in popularity globally people are seeing an opportunity and you know they're they're taking advantage of that to set up these new businesses which is which is really really interesting and um we need to talk a bit about plant poaching because this is an issue that well it's not it's not unique to indonesia as we discussed in my previous episode with uh, dr jared Mar margolis about plant poaching this is a problem that's often blamed on your part of the world, but actually is a is a global issue. But tell me a bit about what's going on where you are in terms of our plants being taken illegally from the wild. Absolutely. Like we would look at online shops and people would be posting pictures of their plants. And obviously they're, they've been ripped out from somewhere because they're not potted, first of all. And then you can look at the leaves and you can tell these are plants that were taken from the wild because when you have plants grown cultivated in your space the, it's just going to look completely different so that is happening and actually i have spoken to a very reputable rare plant uh, he grows and he's, he's also sells so he's, he's kind of a trader i i talked to him briefly about poaching i mean i he gave me a pretty interesting insight where he's saying that actually some of these plants their natural habitats are also uh, being kind of decimated at the same time meaning you know a lot of land is being cleared for palm and things like that actually huge amounts of lands are, are being cleared daily here in indonesia and that is something that maybe is not related to our houseplant uh, hobby but it's related to other economical uh, factors and he's saying that when people actually take plants um, they're in a way kind of conserving their them in you know their species in our homes so there there's maybe a few schools of thoughts about this and i'm not sure it's definitely a gray area it's definitely not a good thing especially if people want to take them and just you know sell it for a profit and then have them shipped 
halfway to Europe where the plant will probably die because it maybe it's not used to being in a, in, in a box or in people's homes because there are some really interesting and weird species that I actually have seen that I don't even know how to, how to care for them. You know, I, I can't imagine who's buying them, right? Yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, I think that's a really interesting point that, you know, there's a lot going on there. And yeah, if a land's about, piece of land's about to be cleared for a plantation, then what do you do? Do you let those plants that are there just get scraped up and chucked away? Or do you take them and and you know grow them that's a really interesting point i hadn't thought of and another do you know if the government in indonesia is do it you know is is part of of worldwide efforts to tackle poaching are they concerned about that i haven't really heard about that so no that is not something that i think we have addressed seriously but i may be wrong because i don't really look at all but as in general i don't think there's an awareness yeah and it is actually one of my ambition, maybe someday. I, I actually do plan to get into a nursery business where I can probably allocate an area where I could showcase Indonesian plants and sort of kind of style them nicely, like have them in an area. And then maybe in the back, I'll, I'll cultivate them and then try to, you know, obviously propagate, figure out the care and then see how I can, you know, prevent poaching but you know by having letting by letting people have access to these plants at a really good price you know and these are grown in a massive scale and very healthy plants so that is one of my ambitions of course i'm not sure if that's gonna happen but i i really believe in conservation of the species i also believe that a lot of them are beautiful and they deserve our attention too but we have to be careful like for me as an influencer i can't put out a plant that everybody just suddenly wants and then that just there will just be poaching so there needs to be a supply chain as well Exactly. Well, let's talk about your role as an influencer. You've got your YouTube channel, which um, is fantastic. And I do recommend, we'll, we'll link to it in the show notes. And I do recommend that people go and check it out because it is superb and it's really insightful and loads of great videos. Um, just tell us about your own personal plant journey. Um, how did you end up where you are now? So I've been killing plants my whole life. I... <laughs> <laughs> Haven't we all? Yeah, so I've bought a lot of plants that just stick them in dark corners and just let them <laughs> die. But then I think my, my journey really began with a Monstera where I kept it in my photo studio. It just kind of grew really well. And then I looked into propagating it and I actually did it wrong where I just cut the petiole off. And then I researched it and realized you actually need the node, the area root. From then I realized, hey, listen, if you do your research, you know, a lot of plants are going to do so well. There's so many cool species. So watching the new growths emerge and the propagation actually got me hooked to this uh, plant hobby. So I love watching things grow and I love learning about new species, where they come from and why they look the way they do because all plants, like they have adapted over millions of years to look the way they do. There's a reason for everything. So my collection actually grew from zero to a, a thousand plus plants in less than a year. Wow! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You got, you got the bug fast then. <laughs> yeah. And the thing about Indonesia is that plants are so inexpensive here. As I mentioned before, you know, when I just 
when I shop for Sansevieres, for example, I can just buy 20 species and for less than 20 bucks. So it's, yeah. And of course I, prop I propagate them and, and I get more out of it. Do you find that you get lots of people like me from the US and the UK coming on your channel and going, huh, I never knew um, that your nurseries look like that or, or showing that we don't really understand a lot of what's going on in your plant culture in your part of the world. Yeah, I guess, you know, I actually do quite a lot of nursery tours and I guess people are a little bit surprised to see, oh my God, like for us, like, you know, most nurseries would have a Monstera ob obliqua and that is quite common here and a lot of the rare aeroids. So people are shocked by that. And also when I go through my care tips, it's very different from the kind of care tips that they're used to um, because of different climates overseas. So yeah, I get comments on that all the time because there's not that many YouTubers from my end of the world. Yeah, I suppose, it, yeah, that's interesting. And do you think more people are gonna, I mean, obviously people, lots of people are growing plants. Do you think there'll be more YouTubers coming along from Indonesia that we should be looking out for? Are you encouraging others? <laughs> I am, I'm encouraging people to start their channels. Uh, in Indonesia alone, actually, there's a lot of YouTubers that's come on, I think, in the past year, and they're doing really well. But they're largely in Bahasa Indonesia, so I'm the only English-speaking ones here for now. Hopefully more will show up. But there are a few... Uh, there's one from Malaysia, if I can shout out to Leafing Around. She's awesome. Her channel is new, but she's gained followers very quickly. And there's somebody in Singapore that I'm encouraging because he's so knowledgeable with plants, but he, I guess he's, he's got, he's just a bit busy. His collection is insane. Um, but yeah, I hope that more people would come on. So if you're listening to this and you live in Southeast Asia, you are definitely, there's a, there's room for that. Yeah. There's an audience for, for that. Yeah, that's great. And I mean, I guess, you know, with that burgeoning, lots of new people getting into plants, there's a hunger for the information, which is which is great. Where are you going to take your channel next? Well, I mean, obviously, you've, you've got this plan, lovely plan for a, for your nursery. But what about your channel? Are there other things you're hoping to do? So I really love community. I love building people up. So hopefully after COVID, I can start doing, you know, plant swap events, workshops, and again, I would be documenting my nursery if, I, if I'm actually building it to show people what it's like to, to kind of build a business. And of course, I'll have more species to play with by then because I really love to get in-depth with each species, get up close and personal, and then share my knowledge uh, through my channel. Also, I would really love to travel. I used to travel so much before I was into plants. You know, I used to go to Thailand. I used to live in the United States. So I would really love to revisit those places, but going back there from a perspective of somebody who loves plants now it's a brilliant channel and i really hope that everybody goes to um to watch you because i've learned a load and it's really rewarding to see what's going on in other parts of the world and it's also for me it's a kind of escapism in that i can kind of just follow you going around a gorgeous nursery and it's just a lovely thing to see especially at a time when visits to, to such places are limited Thanks 
so much to Sean, my guest this week. If you are a Patreon subscriber at the Legend or Superfan level, you'll be able to listen to an exclusive extra interview about importing and exporting plants, which has got a fascinating insight into this industry. So do check that out, Patreon supporters. I've got that Friday feeling today. I'm not sure if it's because I got my first COVID jab yesterday. Thank you, science! Or whether it's just the prospect of spending some time in the garden this weekend. That wraps up this week's show. Join me next week for more planty chat. Bye! music you heard in this week's episode was Roll Jordan Roll by The Joy Drops, Chiefs by Jazar, and Namaste by Jason Shaw. All tracks are licensed under Creative Commons. Visit the show notes for details.